Thank you for listening to Quest Church San Diego. If you would like to know more about us, please visit us online at questsd.com. Again, that's questsd.com. If this podcast has been an encouragement to you, or if you would like to know more about Jesus, please email us at info at questsd.com. Thank you for listening. are excited to continue our study. If you've been with us over, uh, well, the past couple of months, in fact, the beginning of the year, we started a new series entitled Firm Foundation, studying Paul's epistles to the church in Corinth, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. We wrapped up 1st Corinthians a couple weeks ago uh, after Easter, and we just jumped into 2nd Corinthians. And this church uh, is, a very, is a church that is very near and dear to Paul's heart. He planted the church during his second missionary journey, wrote a couple letters during his third and fourth missionary journeys. In fact, we only have two letters recorded here, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, but most scholars believe that there were up to four letters. Uh, One is called the severe letter, the other is called the sorrowful letter, and then 1st and 2nd Corinthians that we have here in our Bibles. But uh, there was a lot of correspondence because Paul loved this church, and uh, the church was uh, having some struggles, some issues and challenges, and so Paul was addressing issues of division, uh, issues of immorality, the influence of the world that was creeping into the church, uh, as well as a spiritual hierarchy that was developing in the church, and some people were thinking, well, if you had certain gifts, then you were closer to God or you are more spiritual, and Paul was addressing that uh, the purpose and the practice of spiritual gifts are perfected through the gift of love so that we should all, should, all should be loving one another. And so uh, Paul continues on uh, in 2 Corinthians in a, in a little bit different fashion. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, Paul is going to expose his heart. He's going to share his emotions. Now, that's not uh, easy for a guy to do, although in the last 30 seconds of the Milwaukee Bucks and the Boston Celtics game, there was a lot of emotion coming from me. I don't know about Men, you do have the capability of expressing emotion, and it's okay to express godly emotion. And Paul is uh, no stranger to that in this letter. He opens up his emotions and his heart and his desire for this church. And we see that uh, very clearly in the chapter before us, in uh, chapter 2. And so if uh, you missed last week, let me encourage you to go back and listen to it on our Facebook page or our website or our podcast, wherever you can find us. Uh, we looked at this theme of the God of all comfort. There's such wonderful verses in chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians where God's sympathies are certain in all of our sufferings, in all of our trials, and all of our tribulations. And that word sympathy or mercy or consolation or compassion means to draw near, that God is drawing near to us. In fact, the Bible also says that God is near to those who have a broken and crushed spirit. God's presence is so very close and near. Uh, And he also inclines his ear to our cries for help and our prayers. And so uh, Paul is going to continue on in chapter 2 looking uh, at this theme of the fragrance of Christ. You can see it up on the screen there. We've got a couple notes for you. You can jot these things down in your journals or the side margin of your Bible just as the Lord speaks to you. But uh, the fragrance of Christ, here we see that Paul talks about how our lives have an aroma, and that aroma is pleasant to the Lord when we serve him and uh, have the character and the person of Christ in our lives, but there's also an aroma of death to those who are 
do not believe in Jesus. And uh, it's very interesting, the, the senses that we have, the five different senses. Um, and uh, smell, unlike all the other senses, has uh, such a powerful effect on our lives. I don't know about you, but uh, whenever I, well, I'm just speaking for my own experience. You guys have your own experiences as well. But when I smear, smell uh, cinnamon rolls, it instantly, I was like thinking, wow, I'm getting kind of hungry now. But uh, it instantly takes me back to Christmas morning because my mom would always make handmade, hand-tied cinnamon rolls early in the morning on Christmas morning. And uh, it would remind me to get up and open my presents. But now, even to this day, it instantly transports me back to an experience and an emotion. And the same thing is true in, in your life as well. Smell has a strong, powerful effect on our lives. And Paul is going to mention that in this chapter, uh, when our lives have the fragrance of Christ's character and personality through our words and through our actions, basically, what does a Christian look like? How do you identify what a Christian looks like? And uh, that is instantly going to be uh, a reminder to other people about Jesus Christ in our lives. So really the main point for us to consider today as we read through and study this chapter is that Christ is diffused through the lives God has used. God uses our lives. There is a transfusion or a diffusion, excuse me, uh, kind of like uh, maybe if you have one of those diffusers that you plug into the wall with essential oils or whatever you buy from the store, it diffuses the fragrance uh, in the house and in the room. The same is true of the lives that God has filled with his presence and his Holy Spirit, and it diffuses Christ and life to other people. And we're going to see this in a couple of ways, a very simple outline. One, we're going to see Paul's tearful uh, cries and, and pleas and love for the church in Corinth. We're going to see that a Christian looks like humility and grace and love. Secondly, we're going to see Paul extend forgiveness to an unidentified person in the church in Corinth who needed the forgiveness of God. And uh, we see that a, a Christian diffuses forgiveness uh, and grace to other people. And then lastly, we're going to see Paul talk about the triumph or the victory or the confidence that we have in Christ in our weaknesses. So that we're going to see also a Christian is not strong in their own ability, but through the weaknesses and the trials and the difficulties of life are strengthened by the Lord. So uh, jumping in here to verse 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, But I determined this within myself, that I would not come again to you in sorrow. For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one who is made sorrowful by me? So Paul, we're kind of jumping into the story here, but Paul is basically saying that uh, he's been visiting back and forth with the church in Corinth. And on his previous visit, Paul had to confront some very difficult issues. In fact, we saw that in 1 Corinthians, he was tackling some very serious issues. So ultimately, Paul, Pastor Paul here, uh, in love and in grace, but also in truth, has to confront uh, these struggles. And it's hard to do that when you have to deal with these issues. And so Paul does it in a loving and graceful way, but also in a truthful way. Now, um, there's those two concepts that are very important in the life of the follower of Jesus, grace and truth. And uh, the scriptures tell us that in Jesus Christ, there was the perfection 
of grace and truth. You see, you can't just have only grace for people because then there is uh, a compromise in our lives. But if you just have truth, then there is a tendency to have legalism and no grace. So if you just have truth, then uh, you're following rules and regulations. You see, grace will keep us humble, but truth will keep us holy. And when we have the truth of God, through the word of God, there's a conviction in our lives to be holy. And that was the issue for Paul and the immorality that was creeping into the church. And so Paul had to deal with what we call conflict resolution in a loving way. In fact, Jesus would deal with this in the Sermon on the Mount. He would say um, that we should judge not, that you be judged. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye so that you'll see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye, so that you can help other people overcome the issues and struggles of life, but don't do it in a hypocritical way. First, deal with those struggles that you have in your own life. And uh, we're also told in the Gospels that if there is a conflict or an issue that someone has with us, that we should leave our gift at the altar, first go be reconciled with one another, And then come back and worship. Jesus also says in Matthew chapter 18 that uh, we should go directly to a person. Not gossip or talk about another person uh, behind their back. In fact, Solomon in the book of Proverbs says, when you hear one side of the story, it seems right until you hear the other side. And so wisdom would be to help people reconcile the conflicts and the issues. And Paul is doing that as the pastor from a distance Uh, However, he has also dispatched pastors and leaders and elders and deacons within the church in Corinth that share his same heart for the people to be able to bring about resolution. And so he says, well, in my last visit, it was so heartbreaking for me because I had to deal with the issues, not only that were plaguing the church, but also we know in 2 Corinthians that Paul is also having to defend himself against false teachers who were assassinating publicly his character and saying, Paul doesn't really care about you. Look at how he acts when he comes. And uh, Paul's ministry isn't from the Lord. And so there was division even within the church that Paul had to address. And so Paul is exposing his emotion and his ministry and his motives behind his heart for the church in Corinth. And uh, so he does that very tearfully. But uh, he does that from a distance because uh, he's going to write from his heart to the church. So he says, I don't want to make you sorrowful. That's not my motive. My motive is that you would uh, see a change in your lives as you come to Christ. And in verse 3 he says, For this I wrote, this very thing to you, lest when I came I should have sorrow over sorrow from, whom, uh, from those of whom I ought to have joy. And having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. Paul, really, his heart and joy was the people. He desired to minister to the people, to love the people, encourage the people. In fact, Paul would say that they were spiritual children to him because he had planted the church and they came to Christ through his ministry. It wasn't joyful to address the issues, but it was needful so that they would reflect Christ in their lives. For Look at verse 4. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears. Everyone say tears. You can see Paul's heart bleeding for the church in Corinth. Open and exposed emotions. Not that you should be grieved, but that 
you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. But if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent not to be too severe. So we'll just stop there because Paul is going to talk about a person in the church who needs the forgiveness of God. And we see Paul's tearful letter that he writes to the church, exposing his emotions and his desire. You see, Paul's letter was intended to straighten out the unfortunate issues and events that were happening and plaguing the church in Corinth. And even though Paul desired to come to the church from time to time, he mentioned that in the previous chapter. He also mentioned that in the last chapter of 1 Corinthians of his letter. He says, my intent is to come and visit you. Uh, However, through his correspondence and letters, Paul had hoped that the church would change in time of his arrival. In fact, all of the scandal brought so much sorrow to Paul's heart because he desired to see so much more uh, goodness and faithfulness and the ministry of the Lord in the church during his absence. And the beautiful thing, as Paul mentioned in chapter 1, is that now the church is beginning to come around to his teaching and to his instruction. They're beginning to repent. They're beginning to change their ways. They're beginning to incorporate this type of uh, transformation and love and and change in in their lives and and in their church. And this is bringing so much joy to Paul. However, there are those from the outside who are accusing him of certain things, so he's going to address those. But do you see Paul's heart? Paul has such a heart of compassion, and uh, his anguish for the church was evident in his emotions. And the motive behind Paul's visits, as well as Paul's letters, was not to grieve the church, but to love the church. And it's very hard to do when you have to address certain issues. So what I see here in Paul's heart and approach and motive behind conflict resolution and confrontation and dealing with the hard issues that come up in church life and believers and ministry is humility. You see, a wonderful example of humility. And let me just encourage all of us, if we might be in situations like this, that even the smallest measure of humility can diffuse the largest moments of hostility. The smallest measure of humility can, uh, well, we said earlier, diffuse means to emanate the fragrance of Christ. To defuse means to, uh, you know, remove the danger that comes from hostility and difficulty and challenge and confrontation and conflict with other people. That if we have humility, even the smallest amount of humility, that it brings the presence of Christ in the midst of those conflicts. And it allows the work of Christ, the grace of God, the truth of God, the humility of God in the midst of those. And maybe you might be dealing with some conflict in a relationship. And oftentimes it happens with the closest people to us in life. But uh, never underestimate how far humility will go in diffusing the conflict that we have in life. And Paul is a wonderful example because his heart was not to just throw bombs at other people, but his desire was to see them grow in Christ and come to change and transformation in their lives. And he does that through tears. He does that through love. He does that through grace. He does that through humility. But he also does that through truth. Now, Paul goes on to talk about how if we are motivated through grace and humility, 
Now what is the action that our lives would produce? And that is forgiveness. Take a look at verse five. But if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. And this punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man. So Paul is actually addressing uh, an individual within the church. He's an unidentified individual to us, but he was very uh, identifiable to the church in Corinth. So uh, I don't know how you would feel to have your name splashed all over Scripture for ages and ages to come that uh, would reflect all of your mistakes and all of your failures. Probably not. But uh, I love that for us, we don't know the identity of this individual. However, if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we know that Paul dealt with church discipline and an individual who was engaged in a sexually immoral relationship with a married woman within the church. And Paul encouraged the church to take measures of church discipline uh, so that this individual would come to a repentant heart. And Paul mentions in that chapter to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And I find it interesting because he also mentions Satan in this same chapter in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And we know that Satan is a liar. He's an accuser. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. But we also know that back at the time of this writing of these letters, there were multiple churches in the city of Corinth. There was just one church. And if you were sent outside of the fellowship, it brought a grieving a sense of loss from being included in the fellowship of the church. And apparently, these many months later, the church discipline that was exercised by the church in this situation brought a change in this man's life. He was repentant. However, uh, during the time of the writing in 1 Corinthians, the church was, uh, could care less about that immoral relationship. They uh, felt like it wasn't that big of a deal. And so now on the flip side of the church discipline, now they're not extending the grace and the forgiveness of God to this individual who has expressed repentance and brokenness over their sin. And so Paul says this punishment or church discipline was sufficient for this man so that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive. Everyone say forgive. Such an important word in relationships and in the church. You ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. For to this end I also wrote that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Everyone say Satan. We probably don't want to say that, but uh, we need to be reminded of his devices as Paul brings him up over and over in his letters to the churches that he is ministering to. Secondly, we see Paul welcome a forgiven transgressor. He's extending forgiveness and mercy. This is what a Christian looks like. Someone who is humble, who loves other people, but also somebody who extends forgiveness 
in those relationships. And I'm not saying that's easy to do. It's very hard. You know, I have very dear friends of mine uh, who it breaks my heart because uh, decades later, because of things that were said decades ago, even to this day, they do not have a relationship with their parents and they do not have a relationship with their kids. And it breaks my heart because we both agree, my friends and me, we both agree that the most important thing in, in life is not things. It's relationships. It's family. It's those closest to us. But life gets in the way. And egos get in the way. And words get in the way. And it causes emotional wounds and scars that are so deep that a father and a son will not talk to one another. And it's heartbreaking. And the forgiveness is so necessary in the midst of those relationships. And while it is very difficult to extend that forgiveness, especially if we've been hurt by other people, Paul would say it in a little different way in his letter to the church in Ephesus, chapter 4. He would say that we should be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave us. That we should not let the sun go down on our wrath. That means we should have a daily reset in our relationships with other people. Not to harbor or hold on to uh, bitterness or anger or frustration. Why? Because life is fleeting. It's momentary. It can be taken in a moment. And the forgiveness that we've received from God, the Bible says, is the same forgiveness that we can extend to other people. And uh, Paul says in that same chapter, chapter 4, he says, Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Because Satan would like nothing more than to get into the midst of relationships and cause havoc. Paul addresses the situation concerning the unidentified sinner. We don't know who he is, but through godly church discipline, this man has repented. And Paul is saying, extend forgiveness because forgiveness restores the past and reconciles the present. You see, godly biblical forgiveness that God extends to us In all of our sin, the Bible says that God has cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. It means you can't find it because you're never going to get all the way east and you're never going to get all the way west. And he remembers it no more. He casts it away. He remembers it. He's not holding that against you and I and the forgiveness that we can extend to other people. He's not holding on to the past. It's actually healing the past. But Satan gets in the midst of those relationships and he will take the loose ends of unforgiveness and tie twisted knots of confusion in our lives. He will twist and tie up and bind up people for decades and years holding on to unforgiveness and bitterness and roots of bitterness coming up in our hearts between people who should be loving and gracious and humble towards one another. Forgiving. Paul says, extend the forgiveness because it's going to restore this individual, but it's also going to restore the past. It's also going to reconcile the present. Now, that's not to say that we are going to get along with every single person all the time, but it is to say that Scripture, we should do all that we can to live at peace and harmony with other people and reconcile to the best of our ability with other people, even though there might be some friction and issues. How do we do that? Well, we do that in humility. 
We do that in forgiveness. Go, oh, Lord, help me extend the forgiveness that I have received from you to others. Is that not what Paul said in chapter 1? With the comfort with which we have received in all of our sorrows, can then extend that same comfort to other people who are experiencing sorrow and heartache so that our lives are kind of like a sponge. We're wrung out when we're filled up with the comfort as well as the forgiveness of God to give that to other people. And do you know what that does for that other individual as well as for yourself? Because oftentimes I've heard it said, if you, do not, if you withhold forgiveness from other people, you're imprisoning your own soul. But it also leaves so much unattended to in that relationship. And Satan, as I mentioned earlier, will use these things. He will use them to tie up people for years and decades. He will use them to... Uh, bring confusion and heartache and pain. So Paul says, be vigilant to watch out for the trickeries and the deceitfulness of Satan trying to creep into the church, trying to creep into marriages, trying to creep into relationships, trying to creep into ministry. And you do that with a humble heart, with the truth and grace of God, forgiveness that we've received, but also extending that forgiveness to others. And then lastly, Paul says, the way that we walk in humility and forgiveness is in the character and the strength of Christ. Look with me in verse 12. Paul says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit, because I did not find Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. Now thanks be to God. This is one of those star verses in the Bible. You should underline this and remember it. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death. To the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? Paul says I can't make sense of all this. I'm not worthy of the Lord even to work in and through my life. Who's sufficient for this? No one. In fact, Paul would go on to say in this letter that God's strength is perfected in his weakness. That God's strength is sufficient for him in his weakness. And this aroma leads to life. Verse 17. For we are not, as so many, peddling the word of God. That's a negative word. That means there's people and pastors and ministries who you might see on television or you might come across in advertisements or whatever, who are motivated for personal selfish gain, trying to get money out of your pocket so that they can have a plane to fly in, whatever it is, prosperity gospel or money for themselves, personal gain. It could be title, it could be position, it could be platform, it could be influence, it could be money or monetary things. Paul is, not, Paul is saying, I am not preaching the gospel for personal gain. I'm not peddling this. But as in sincerity, as from God, we speak in the sight of God and in Christ. Lastly, Paul walks in the triumph of Christ. But notice, once again, Paul opens the door of his heart and says, I have experienced spiritual anxiety in ministry. That is very comforting and encouraging to me, not only in ministry, but also in life. 
Here is one of the giants of all of Scripture acknowledging and confessing that he is experiencing spiritual anxiety. Notice the words he uses. I had no rest in my spirit. Why? He had great opportunity. There was a lot of ministry happening. There was a door, an effective door for him to serve the Lord. But notice, he was all alone. He was looking for Titus. He was looking for Timothy. He was looking for Priscilla. He was looking for Aquila. He's like, anybody, just... I just need somebody to come alongside me. Now, Paul would also go on to say that everybody abandoned me, but the Lord Jesus Christ stood with me. And friend, you might be alone. You might feel alone, but you are not alone if you're a Christ follower. You have the spirit of God living inside of you. He is the parakletos. He is the one who comes alongside and walks with you. He is the comforter and the counselor. But, oh, do not miss the significance and the importance of the brother or sister sitting beside of you. Turn to the person next to you and say, I need you. Just go, there, there it is. Look at that. Oh, this is good stuff. Now turn to the person on the other side. I need you. Now turn to the person behind you and say, I need you a lot because you got my back. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. We need a Titus. We need a Timothy. We all experience spiritual anxiety in the continual ministry and life that is happening all around us. And Paul says, if this happens to me, it's going to happen to you. And in the midst of this, there is great comfort. Why? Because even though he's experiencing this anxiety, he says, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph and victory. That the Lord Jesus Christ is your strength. And he will bring that strength to you through other people. They'll come alongside and encourage you and support you and help you and love you. And pray for you. So many people who are experiencing this type of anxiety in life. There's only one who can fulfill that. There's only one who can medicate that. There's only one who can heal that anxiety. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. You can try to cope with it. You can try to mend it. You can try to self-medicate it. But you will not heal it. You will just deal with the symptoms And those symptoms are saying that you need someone for your soul. And the one who is the lover of your soul is the person of Jesus Christ. And he has come to extend that love for you upon the cross of Calvary. So that you could be the one who is not smelling and seeing Christians or churches for all of their hypocrisy and all of their failures and all of their sin, which leads to death. But you're seeing Christians in the church as those who lead to life. You're seeing the life of Jesus Christ. You're seeing the fragrance of Jesus Christ. And it's bringing back to remembrance instantaneously through the senses of spiritual smell, the desire and need for for the one who would save your soul, for the one who would heal your soul, for the one who would comfort your soul. That's deep. That's real. That's truth. That is what we all need. Paul is saying, through Christ and through those who God diffuses the the life of Christ as he uses us, those led by Jesus leak the lingering sweetness of God in our lives. It lingers. It stays. It sticks around. It brings to remembrance. It, It draws people's attention back to Christ. If you're led by Jesus, and how are we going to be led by Jesus? What's that going to look like? Well, it's going to look like humility. 
It's going to look like forgiveness. It's going to look like weakness. Well, we don't want to expose any of those things. The world would say, those are weak things. Don't be weak. Be strong in yourself. But the Bible says, we can't do anything of ourselves. Apart from him, we are nothing. And in his strength, we are made strong for all the things that we would encounter to leak the sweetness of Jesus in our lives. Paul finally closes this chapter by saying, my message and my ministry, Paul the Apostle, is not masqueraded through personal profit and the motives. I'm not masking the motives of my message and my ministry. My heart is open. My life is open. He's basically saying I'm an open book. I'm called by God to preach the gospel. There's a lot of adversity. There's a lot of trial. There's a lot of difficulty. But there's great opportunity. And I want my life to be sweetly broken by Jesus. Because just as you would break the compounds of fragrances to expose and diffuse the smells, so the life of the believer is broken through adversity so that Christ can be more evident in our lives. Amen? It's not easy, friends. But we need one another, and we need Christ leading us. So let's pray. We'll have our worship team come on up and lead us in a closing song. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We thank you for the truth that it presents, but we also thank you for the grace and the forgiveness. Now, we talk a lot about today, extending this to other people, and that is so very important, but we cannot do that if we have not first experienced or received it from you personally, and I do not know where you're at with God right now. I do not know the condition of your spiritual soul, but I do know God does. He sees. You're not here by chance. You're not watching by chance. You're not listening to this message by chance. God has repeatedly extended his message of love and forgiveness to you. And today, if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and experienced and received his forgiveness, do not wait another day. Do not wait another moment. In the quietness of your own heart, Acknowledge your spiritual anxiety because you do not have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what that anxiety is from. That anxiety comes because you're trying to fill something and fix something that you don't know how to fix. Yes, we are broken. Sin has done that. Jesus has come to fix you. Receive that. By grace through faith, the Bible says if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness that you would be born again, made new and afresh. If that's your decision today, I want to encourage you to share it with somebody. Maybe the person next to you. I'm available. Our team's available. After the service, let us know online, direct message, or in the comments down below. Let us know how we can pray and encourage you. But brother or sister in Christ Jesus, do you realize that God also has spoken to you these many years later, today, if there is unforgiveness in your heart, if you're holding on to that, or if there's a severed relationship that is breaking your heart, let Jesus come in the midst of it. Let him heal it through humility. Let him reconcile it through his timing and through his way. Lord, do this work in our lives so that 
we can diffuse Jesus in every situation. We love you. We thank you. And it's in your name we pray. And we all said, amen. If this podcast has been an encouragement to you, or if you would like to know more about Jesus, please email us at info at questsd.com. We'd love to hear from you. God bless you.